Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the ID Podcast, where we feature the stories of medicine and the people behind them. My name is Mike. And I'm Grinder. On today's episode, we're going to be sharing another ID Spotlight feature with you, this time with Nicole Crimi. We'll be hearing Nicole's amazing story and journey to medicine, featuring art, acting, and a lot more. After learning about her path to medicine, we'll be exploring Nicole's latest project, her children's book entitled Patty and the Pandemic which she started specifically during COVID-19 to address a gap that she identified. COVID-19 is a complicated dynamic topic as we all know, but one thing is for sure, it's remarkable to see innovation and leadership in the face of such difficult times. And Nicole certainly is one example of this. We do also want to acknowledge that as medical students, we have a level of privilege to be able to take on extracurricular projects during this time, even with respect to our podcast. We are fortunate to be in a place to do this work right now and have the appropriate resources for which we are very, very thankful. We recognize that there are individuals who have been impacted and possibly have had added financial responsibilities and are not as fortunate. Thank you to our listeners as well for your continued support and encouragement during this time. Those thoughts in mind, we send it back to you, Grinder and Michael in the studio for our ID Spotlight. Here's Nicole Crimi's story. Welcome back to another episode of the ID Podcast. Today, we're joined by Nicole Crimi for the ID Spotlight. How are you doing today, Nicole? I'm great. How are you? You know, all things considered with uh, the second wave kind of in full flux right now, I can't complain. I'm doing pretty well. Uh, very excited to be back in the clinical environment really soon. Me too. It's definitely exciting. I mean, with everything closing up and everything, we're pretty lucky to have the opportunities that we are having this week. Most definitely. And I'm also joined by my co-host today, Michael. How's it going, Michael? Doing very well. How are you? Doing well. Uh, so since everyone's here and healthy and ready to go, maybe we can get the actual podcast rolling. Uh, so I guess to start off with, uh, maybe the, the listeners must be a little bit curious about your background and kind of how you got to where you are today, Nicole, as a medical student. Uh, so do you want to talk a little bit about your path to medical school? Sure. Um, so, I mean, starting from when I graduated high school, I went straight to McMaster and I studied life sci at Mac for four years. And then once I graduated McMaster, I took a year off and I basically just kind of did some art, some volunteer work and some traveling and, you know, kind of wanted a year to just say yes to things without having a schedule. And then I got into Mac Med in 2019, I think, is when we started. And now I'm in my second year. So here I am. Awesome. Another LifeSci alumni. What a great, great time. Anytime (laughs) I run into someone else from LifeSci, it's always exciting. I know there's very few of us, so it's always nice to see one. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So kind of transitioning from that, now that we know how you got here, we'd love to hear more about your actual med school experience so far. So would you mind just sharing one highlight maybe that jumps out at you and one particular low light, if there is one? Yeah, I mean, med school is just kind of a sequence of highlights for me. I'm really happy to be here. I love Mac, obviously. For me, something that really jumped out to me was just like, our first month of school, essentially, I guess even the the first beginning of it, just getting to know all of the classmates. One thing I think is really cool about Mac is just how different everybody's backgrounds are and like what they've learned and their experiences. So for me, it's been really cool to be in such a small group where I've had the opportunity to get to know so many of my classmates and learn so many things from everybody. Not really many lowlights. I guess now you could say being on Zoom more is a lowlight just because nobody likes being in online schooling, but still I'm having a lot of fun having things to do during all of this. Yeah, it sounds like everyone's trying to make the most of it. Um, but kind of talking, touching back on something else you mentioned, 
or maybe you had you, maybe you didn't get a chance to mention this yet, but we do know that you have an artistic background, as we'll kind of learn more about uh, through Patty and the Pandemic. But you also have a, a, an amazing background in acting uh, and the dramatic arts. I know Michael was really curious to talk to you about that. Absolutely. I mean, um, I know when I first met you, one of the very first things I learned was um, your prior acting career. I mean, very few medical students can actually speak to having had a career in acting or really uh, any arts at all. Um, but can you tell us how you became interested uh, in that field? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I didn't really have that much of a say. I was only three years old when I started acting. And what essentially happened was for some reason, my mom thought my sister would enjoy it. Maybe she had shown an interest. So she put my older sister into acting and she immediately became very successful in it. So I got kind of jealous of my sister, seeing her do all of these fun things. And then my mom kind of wanted to give all of us the opportunity to do that as well. So starting from like three, four years old, I was going to auditions. And I mean, at that point, it doesn't really take much skill to be an actor. You just kind of have to sit there and not get fired, which I did sometimes. But it was definitely a really fun experience for me. Wait, so if, if I've got that right, um, your sister was also into acting. Are, are we talking about a whole family of actors here? <laughs> yeah, so I've, I have two older sisters and my middle sister, Janessa, actually was in over 70 commercials. So she Whoa. had like this signature laugh as a little kid. It was, it was insane. She was really cool. So was she a Gerber baby? No, she wasn't a Gerber baby, but... She was getting there. <laughs> <laughs> to follow up on that, I'm, I'm curious. So one of the things that's really, um, well, I'd say it's fun to talk about, actually, uh, when it comes to talking with you, is um, one of the best roles that you've had, uh, or at least best known roles, has been in Mean Girls, so is Kylie George. But I was really curious, and, and you've alluded to this, you've definitely had a lot of other acting gigs. So what would you say? if you had to pin one down, would be the most interesting role that you've played? Most interesting. Well, so Mean Girls would be the most interesting in the sense that the people that I worked with were really interesting. And it was a longer period of time that I was on set. So I got to know everybody a little bit more. But from experiences perspective, the most interesting role I played was in a TV movie called To Die For. And that's like a smaller role. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't recognize me from it. But the reason why I say it was interesting is the role actually, I was playing kind of a misbehaved daughter and they actually strapped me to a barbecue with like a life jacket. And my job was to essentially just run around and then I caused an explosion. So the reason why it was so much fun for me was because I got to see what it's like to be on set when there's like a fake explosion. And then oh I got to God. kind of come, I was the only person that survived this explosion. So I got to be the person where everyone's focused on me and I come out of the rubble and it's all dramatic. <laughs> So that was, that was a really fun experience for me. I got to say explosions. That sounds awfully similar to a uh, story you told uh, a few weeks ago in tutorial, actually. Uh, but, but let's not go over that. Let's just call that method acting. <laughs> uh, now, you eventually did decide to quit acting. Um, and I, I'd say that decisions like that are rarely made quickly. And um, obviously they're going to involve a lot of factors, but again, I'm, I, I like to get to specifics. If you had to pin it down to just one thing, what would be that one thing that made you realize you didn't want to, um, I, I guess, be an actor for the rest of your life? Well, when you're that age, it's kind of hard to imagine choosing what you want to be for the rest of your life. And what started happening is as I got older, the acting as a career 
career became more demanding. I was going, especially after Mean Girls, I was more in demand. So I was going to auditions multiple times a day. And I remember one day being at school and I realized I hadn't learned the multiplication tables because math was always my last period. And so I realized that if I wanted to continue pursuing acting, I was going to be making a lot of sacrifices, not only in school, but also my social life, my personal life. I wasn't able to sign up for any other extracurriculars like the arts and everything. So it was more so not that I didn't want to pursue acting as a career, but that I wanted to have the option to pursue other things as well. And I always figured that if it was something that I really loved and missed, I could go back to it. But it just so happens that I ended up taking up other things instead. And that's, that's, I could not have manufactured a better transition for us. So thank you for, for that statement, Nicole. <laughs> uh, genuinely though, like you have found this amazing balance in the way that you are able to still get all of your work done and be a very effective medical student, but also spend time uh, in the arts and not only the dramatic arts, but also the visual arts. Uh, you're a skilled painter. And I'd love to kind of know and learn a little bit more about what made you pick painting. Uh, and was it a passion that developed after you stopped acting or was it something you had considered before and during your life while you were also still acting? So again, this comes down to my older sister. So when I was really young, she really liked drawing. I think I was just obsessed with her maybe. And I would always see her coloring things. And so she kind of became my art teacher literally when I was in JK. And so she would give me fake grades on the things that I would draw. So <laughs> it was one of those things where during recess, when kids were going outside, I would like to stay in and I would be drawing the pictures that I saw in the textbooks or just spending that little extra time on the paintings when we were doing finger painting. Like I'm not even exaggerating. I was just obsessed with coloring. And what ended up happening was my mother put me into, once acting kind of slowed down, she tried putting me into like piano lessons, singing lessons, art lessons, dance. And I was terrible at all of it but I was good at drawing. <laughs> and the one thing that really stood out was I got a little bit angsty when I was doing some of the other arts, because when I was attending these lessons, I was constantly being asked to copy what another artist did. So in piano lessons, someone else composed a song and I was trying to learn it. In acting, it's the same thing. You're trying to be somebody else. But the thing that I really liked about art is that you had control over what you were putting on the paper and that I could compose my own artwork. At first, that wasn't something that I really appreciated at a young age because I didn't have the skill to do it. Mm -hmm. But it was in high school when I discovered oil painting and I realized that I could manipulate that medium a lot more because oil painting takes a long time to dry. Mm -hmm. So I realized I can manipulate it and make it abstract. And that's when I actually became passionate about the arts and painting was really when I was 16. Right. And to pick maybe a little bit more of your brain about the process of painting, uh, you mentioned that you've been using oil paints uh, mostly. Uh, of course, your work, work stretches past that, but that's kind of been the focus of your, your efforts here in, in the arts. Um, so what does that process look like when you're getting started with a blank canvas? Do you kind of go into the process knowing what you want to create? Do you think that the process evolves as you're creating the painting? It definitely evolves as I'm going into it. So usually I'll have a feeling, a thought, or some kind of revelation that will inspire some kind of painting. So maybe I went for a walk and I saw some tree arranged in a certain way that just inspired something weirdly abstract. So I have this idea and the feeling I want to be portraying, but I have no idea how it will look on the canvas. That's part of what I enjoy about oil painting so much. So I always choose out my canvases for each painting. Like I don't have a stock of canvases. So I go to the art store and then kind of choosing the palette that I'm working on for each painting allows me to kind of 
work on it as I go along, if that's making sense. Usually I'll start off with one idea. And then as I'm going along, I feel like I'm learning throughout that whole process because it is over the span usually of weeks to months. And then I end up with something sometimes completely different than what I had started with. But it's always something that I love more than I could have ever imagined starting at the beginning of the whole process. So maybe on that topic of um, your artistic process when you're producing one of these um, paintings, could you tell us a little bit more about um, what the process is like when you're actually painting for someone else? So I know that you and I, we've previously talked about how you've done a lot of painting, not just for yourself, but also actually for charities. And so... Um, what does that process change at all when you're working for a charity? Um, you're, you're creating something that is presumably going to get sold. And I, I would wonder, do they have any restrictions on what you're supposed to paint? And does that sort of impinge on your creativity at all? Well, so when I first started out back in high school, when people would request paintings that I was that were being sold, that was definitely the case. They would usually tell me what they wanted and I would recreate it. And that was great because it was a great learning exercise for me. And I got to actually distribute my art and have more people appreciate it. But similarly to what I was saying earlier with why I didn't like piano lessons, for example, I started resenting art too by creating artwork simply based on what other people were telling me to create. So now I've stopped that altogether. And the charity work that I do is always with charities where we have a mutual passion and respect for each other's work. So it always ends up happening organically. No one just reaches out to me and says, hey, um, can you create this so that we can donate it? The charities that I've worked with are all with people that I've had conversations with that I know personally. And then so they'll be telling me why their charity is important to them. And then I'll be talking to them about why my art is important to me in another conversation. And then we kind of just have a mutual idea together or I have an idea and then they get really excited about it. Mm -hmm. And then they usually are happy to have me just create something and then if it sells for a lot it sells for a lot and if it doesn't it's still something I'm very proud of. I, I was gonna say uh, Nicole I actually had the pleasure of being in one of your art classes uh, something that people may not know is that you ran uh, a few art classes for the class of 2022 and and the class of uh, 2023 as well at that point in time I, I remember how difficult it actually was to actually put something on the canvas or actually in my case it was a virtual canvas. And I can only imagine that when you're actually going through this creative process, we're talking about dozens, if not hundreds of hours planning and, and then actually executing that plan. And I, I'm curious to ask you, was there any one painting that really comes out in your mind as the one that seemed to have taken the most work, the most effort? And then the follow-up to that would be, did it turn out to be your favorite painting at the end? 100%. So when I was in grade 12, my art teacher made a statement to me that abstract art is easier than realistic art, which made me very upset. So I decided to choose the most difficult type of realistic drawing I could think of and then make it in the span of two weeks. So I didn't sleep for two weeks. Like I actually ended up fainting because I was up for that many hours. And like the last stretch was literally 18 hours straight of me just sitting there with coffee and Pillsbury cookies. It was terrible to work on. So that'll always go down in history as the most work I've ever put into a piece of artwork, just because for my health, I would never do that again. And so that's actually a drawing. It's not even a painting. It was done with pencil crayons. But if you looked at it, you would probably think it was either a photograph or a painting because I just put that much detail in it. And although I really love that picture and it, I have it framed in my house as inspiration, 
it's not my favorite. My favorite are the oil paintings that usually tell are abstract and have a personal meaning to me. Which one is my favorite tends to change based on where I'm at in life and which one I'm relating to more in that moment. And kind of on that note about what relates to you in that moment, it seems like you got struck with a little bit of inspiration while we've all been stuck inside during this last little uh, bit of quarantining during the pandemic. Uh, There's some exciting new news that we'd love to share with our listeners. Uh, There's an amazing book that you've created, Nicole, and it's just been published and is available widely right now. It's called Patty in the Pandemic. Uh, So we'd love to learn more about what inspired you to start this project. Well, so many things inspired me. I mean, I've always wanted to be an author, so I'm all, I always find myself just kind of writing things for fun. I mean, when we were sent home, when the pandemic all started, it was obviously very sad for all of us because we had just started medical school and we were enjoying spending time with our peers. And there were two things. One, I just thought of how much more important it is for kids that are in that age group of three to eight years old to be interacting with other people because they're learning their social skills at that time. Mm-hmm. And then another thing is that, you know, us as medical students, we have the privilege of actually understanding what COVID-19 is and agreeing with the rules that are in place. You know, for me, it actually almost feels empowering to be able to protect myself and my family members. And I realized that that was something that, you know, the younger kids couldn't relate to because when researching COVID myself, all of the resources available were essentially med resources that I was finding that we use as for our PBL cases and everything. Um, and then my parents didn't have much of an understanding. So I was thinking, wow, if my own family can't understand it, I can't imagine how difficult this is for children to understand and how frustrating that must be for them. So it just seemed like something that would be fun and potentially impactful. And something someone said to me when I was having a bad day at the very beginning of COVID is they said, in every form of tragedy or difficult time, you have to try to find not an opportunity, but something positive you know, this seemed like something positive. It seemed like an opportunity to do something good. And in an isolating time where I'm at home, everybody else is at home. It was something that could bring us all together because this is something that we all do care about. Right. Absolutely. And without maybe giving up, giving too much away, because we do want our listeners to go ahead and support Patty in the pandemic by purchasing a copy. And we'll talk about where the funds are going in a bit, but would you mind telling us a little bit about what you can expect from the book and what you hope kids can take away from it? Definitely. So the book, the book is short, it's less than 500 words, and each page is rhyming verses with colorful illustrations that I did myself. And it essentially follows Patty, which is just this like crazy haired little girl, and it goes through her normal life, and then how life has changed for her. And then what the coronavirus is, what you can expect to feel if you were to get coronavirus and how it spreads. But then the main focus of it is actually not being afraid of it as a result, but being empowered by learning how you can keep safe. So she kind of goes through the telltale rules that public health has kind of put out there for children just to kind of remind them in a more fun and engaging way um, how they can stay safe. You know, um, as you were talking about your inspiration for the whole project, patting the Pandemic, um, I couldn't help but wonder was there a personal element to it? I mean, you've talked about your family being an inspiration for you uh, in terms of writing this and even writing anything is a very, very personal endeavor. So um, was there any personal story that really made it click for you? Something, some experience that made you really feel that this children's book had to be out there? Something like well, my father wandered, wandered outside without a mask, and that was a big no-no. Uh, any, anything like that? Well, my family was all pretty receptive to the rules and everything, but again, I was just thinking of the kids. For me, my childhood had a lot of kind of hallmark moments that have shaped me as a person. 
So I wanted positive Hallmark moments for other kids. And I was hoping that for some kids, maybe this would be one of them. From like a more personal standpoint, when I was when I was a child and I was younger, I had to miss school due to health reasons. And it happened to be like the first two weeks of school. And I remember not understanding why, because no one really informed me of what those reasons were. And I wasn't aware of my own health status, I guess. And it was very frustrating and isolating and scary. And that's part of why I wanted to pursue medicine is really just feeling empowered by knowledge and awareness of yourself. And even if these kids don't want to be doctors, I wanted them to feel that same type of empowerment and make this a little less scary for them. Now, Nicole, getting a book out in print, I I think we can all appreciate that's no easy task. From the moment that you first had that initial spark of inspiration up until, of course, your meeting with Premier Doug Ford, uh, what do you think was the biggest hurdle that you had to overcome to get Patty and the Pandemic out there? There were so many hurdles. I've written so many short stories or started so many books and not finished them. And the reason why you've never seen them is because publishing is so much work. And I always knew that it was. So from the beginning, I actually even stopped at times because I just didn't think that publishing was feasible because I don't know the industry. I'm not a publisher and I don't have any connections with publishers. Right. So then at some point I just got passionate about the project enough where I decided that I was just going to take on every role myself. And that was the real hurdle was figuring out what roles there were because I was constantly learning that there was more that needed to be done even after meeting with Doug Ford, which is a whole nother story in itself. But, you know, learning what these roles were and then researching them and essentially kind of taking them on myself. So yes, I wrote the book and illustrated it, but then I also had to Photoshop it on the computer and like learn how to use Adobe. Then I needed to format it, design it, put in the text and spend hours going through fonts, um, making a website. I don't know how to code. All of these things are so out of my realm of expertise and skill. And especially during COVID when we can't leave our house, it was hard to find people that could help me because, you know, I can't go and meet up with my friends and ask them to do it for me. So I'd say just kind of taking on different roles and diving into the deep end of the unknown of this whole field of literature and publishing books was really the most challenging part because even to this day, it's still a self-published book. I don't have a, well, I have a publisher that I'm going to be working with in the future, but not right at this moment. So it really has just been a one man endeavor aside from the whole editing part. Wow. So you really did everything. I, I don't think I could imagine how much work that would have taken. And speaking of building a website, um, have you heard of our sponsor Squarespace? No, I'm just kidding. That's, uh, we're not so (laughs) fortunate. Um, uh, so following up on that, you mentioned how you're now in talks with a, uh, a publishing company here. Um, so has the success of this project, Patty and the Pandemic, encouraged you to pursue writing uh, even further? Is Patty and the Pandemic a preview of what we can expect from Nicole Creamy, the author? Well, yeah. I mean, I've always, I've always had it on my bucket list to kind of create writing works. It's just that I never had things to write about before. So now... The thing is, is when I think of something in the future, when that spark of inspiration comes or I see something that's important enough to talk about, at least now I've gone through all of the hurdles. So I'll know what to expect and I'll be able to do it a lot more efficiently. So this definitely isn't the last thing that I'm going to publish, hopefully, but it's also not my main priority right at this moment as well, because as we all know, medical school is going to be picking up and I'm really excited for that too. Uh, so absolutely. It sounds like you appreciate the fact that we're wearing, or at least a lot of us are wearing many hats right now as medical students, um, kind of balancing some of those hats. I noticed that there was 
a lot of outrage or uproar in the anti-mask community uh, as a reaction to your book. I would just love, love to learn a little bit more about what you think the role of science communicators is in addressing this outrage in a productive way. And how can we continue to build bridges between people who might believe very disparate things? Yeah, that was definitely, I mean, with the book, there's been so much positive feedback and that's what I focus on. But I was very surprised because I knew that some people didn't agree with the current protocols in place, but I didn't realize how passionately they disagreed until this book came out. And then Doug Ford did speak about me. The issue was, is my interactions with them were all on social media. And I think the issue is, is that people are congregating online because obviously we can't congregate in person as much, but you know, people are more powerful behind a screen. And I think what's important is for us when we do interact with people, because I know it's minimal, but we do see people on a daily basis sometimes. And when we see someone just kind of keeping an eye out, not even for anti-mask behavior, but for anti-mask comments, even comments that are kind of detrimental to progress, you know, so everyone might have moments where they're feeling a little bit frustrated or feeling less able to follow the rules. So rather than just kind of dismissing those comments, hearing people out, listening to them, and then sharing your own thoughts and perspectives from the scientific community with them. Because at the end of the day, the reason why people kind of congregate and have an uproar and get loud is because they don't feel like they're being heard. And if they felt like they were being heard in conversations that they had with people on a daily basis, potentially we could have mitigated these issues in the first place, or potentially we could make them a little bit less severe. Yeah, that's that's a great, great point you made there. I love the idea of creating an open platform where people can kind of have an open discourse, uh, even if they don't exactly agree on, on things like mask wearing, for example, um, just because it is another opportunity to inform someone and educate them. And as you said, we don't really know kind of what might be driving some of those opinions. I'm sure everyone's uh, life experiences are a little bit different. So it's important to keep that in mind as well. Um, but also not backing down from what you think is right overall for the health and, and the good of the public uh, and kind of facing it wherever you see it. So I commend you for doing that. And hopefully we can get the anti-mask community to accept the need for this book and uh, maybe even educate some of the children in that community with this tool in schools or, or who knows where, where we'll see Patty and the Pandemic pop up next. Yeah, 100%. And one thing about this book too is that I think people thought that since it was promoted by a political figure that it was a political book, but it really has nothing to do with politics or anyone's views. The bottom line is, is that if your child is going to school, they have to follow these rules. Like that's just the way it is. Otherwise they have to stay home. And I think every kid should have the right to be able to go to school and should be able to have those experiences. So regardless of anyone's political views or personal perceptions, just care about the children and try to make it a little bit easier for them. If you don't want to wear a mask, is it that bad for the child to wear one just while they're at school? And then when they're home with their families, they can do what they want. You know, so I just kind of wanted to take out the political part of it and just make it a little bit fun for the kids that they understand a bit more. They don't need to be involved in the whole in that whole thing. Absolutely. And in a climate where we're constantly seeing kind of every subject matter being politicized right now, I think it's important to separate the two and and just denote the fact that this is good public health <laughs> measures that are being put in place <laughs> and bipartisanly, everyone should be kind of wearing masks and supporting this idea. So thanks. Thanks again for your work, Nicole, in this exactly. area. That's kind of moving on from there. We also mentioned earlier in the interview that all the proceeds of the book are going to a foundation called Face the Future Foundation. Uh, would you want to talk a little bit more about what this nonprofit organization does and why you decided to direct all the proceeds towards this area? 
Definitely. Um, well, first of all, like the choice to donate was pretty simple because I felt like I was just investing so much time into the book as something like a pay it forward to the kids. And I wanted to make this whole book kind of a random acts of kindness kind of feeling, if that makes sense. So it's like, if I provide a book for you, you provide money for charity. Your kids are, by wearing a mask, are helping the kids around them. So everyone's kind of feeling unified by making this a charitable initiative. So that's the reason why I wanted to donate it and not profit it, just because I thought it would have a little bit more of a feel-good vibe, I guess, in this time where people kind of feel a bit more isolated. And then the reason why I liked Face the Future Foundation in particular is because, well, first of all, it's working on a global basis. So it's teaching kids that, you know, even if you can't see someone's hardships, it's important to still care about those people. And COVID really is something that is affecting people all around the world. So I think it's important to make a charity for someone all around, like people all around the world as well. And then also to just thinking about the foundation itself. It's a pretty small foundation. It was only founded 24 years ago. And the mission trips are essentially run by groups of surgeons where they're donating their time, they're donating their supplies, they're even sometimes donating their money to pay for their flights and their hotels and everything while they're there. So every little bit of money that's donated is really getting multiplied so much. And by donating, I'm actually able to feel like not only am I, but the people that are purchasing even just a few books are able to make an actual difference in people's lives versus donating to larger foundations, which are still absolutely amazing, but you would need to make more of a substantial donation in order to see those changes on a global scale, I guess. And then particularly Face the Future Foundation does, they do facial reconstructive and plastic surgeries for children in developing countries. And I just thought this was really nice because you know, this is something that's really emphasizing the quality of people's lives and how these kinds of deformities or injuries can really affect someone on a day to day basis, even if it's not necessarily killing them. And in developing countries in particular, you see kids that are getting orphaned because of these deformities or disabilities. So by performing these surgeries or allowing them to get adopted or allowing them to get jobs in their communities and actually not only survive, but also live. And I think that's something that I really kind of stand for. And that's why I really respect this foundation for what it does. Well, it sounds to me like they do incredible work and I would love to support it personally. Um, but maybe if I could multiply my efforts a little bit during this interview, uh, where can our listeners go ahead and find Patty in the Pandemic? Where can we purchase it and support this amazing organization you've told us all this, this ama these amazing things about? So you can purchase Patty and the Pandemic at pattyandthepandemic.org. So just right on the website. Sorry, I just wanted to back up a moment, actually. Um, did I hear correctly? I think it was in your breakfast television interview um, that you mentioned you were interested in maybe looking more into head and neck surgery going forward. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a surgical specialty that I'm definitely interested in and passionate about. And part of why I became interested in it, it was seeing the meaningful work that people do for charities such as Face the Future Foundation. I'd seen their work first, thought though, thought that it was really impactful. And then I learned what the specialty was and then kind of thought of Face the Future, um, sorry, then thought of head and neck surgery. Um, so yeah, it's definitely something that's close to my heart and my personal interest levels. That's really beautiful. Yeah, you've Thank done you. a great way to kind of wrap up all of your passions and areas of interest all in one. So I commend you for that. That's what I try to do for the sake of time management. If you can do one thing that embodies all of the things you love, then you'll never run out of time. But if everything <laughs> is completely separate, there's just not gonna be enough hours in the day. 
this is why I bring coffee on all my runs. Uh, the exact same, <laughs> same reason. Awesome. Okay. So it sounds like uh, we have an amazing place where we can go and find Patty and the Pandemic to support the cause. Uh, and before we get you out of this virtual studio today, we'd love to get through a rapid question round, which we go through with all of our guests here on the ID Spotlight series. How does that sound, Nicole? Sure. Awesome. Yeah. You want to get us started, Michael? Absolutely. I believe the rules are you get maybe one sentence uh, as an answer for each of our questions. Um, any more than that, I believe we bill for it. <laughs> oh, uh-oh. I've donated all my money, so I don't know how that's going to go. Um, all right. So first question, besides patting the pandemic, what is your favorite children's book? I can't say a favorite. Same with my art. Um, I just like anything Robert Munch when it comes to kids' books. Oh, I was just going to say Robert Munch. Oh, he's the man of my heart. I love him. Um, right. <laughs> next question. What was the last book that you've read? Okay, this is kind of embarrassing. It was Twilight. And the reason for that is just because I can't read books because I binge read them. So Twilight is the only book that I can stop reading. <laughs> uh, Nicole, are you a dog or a cat person? Dog. No explanation needed. <laughs> Would you rather have a puppy-sized elephant or an elephant-sized dog? Definitely a puppy-sized elephant. But like make it a teacup elephant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is your Hogwarts house? Hufflepuff. Ooh, team Hufflepuff. And what are you grateful for? Just the people that are around me. I love them. They're great. <laughs> All right. Definitely trying to avoid TMI here. But most embarrassing first date story. One sentence. That's uh all you get. How do you tell a story in one sentence? No, okay. just the subtitle. That would be under the worst uh, still frame of it. Generalization, just not knowing that I was on a first date and then everything being awkward after that. <laughs> okay, so got to go on from there. What excites you nowadays? Right now, what excites me is all of the trails during fall. And there's something called geocaching, which is really cool. It's kind of dorky, but it's fun. It's basically treasure hunts for adults. What's your ideal day off? Ideal day off would probably be some kind of hike or adventure outside. Okay. And what is the most recent TV show that you've binged? So last night I was trying to study and then my dad put on some show called The 100 and I ended up staying up pretty late just binging that completely unwillingly. <laughs> Tell us about your weirdest hobby. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I have any really weird hobbies. I guess I used to latch hook. That's kind of weird. A latch hook? It, like it's making little rugs but it's really time consuming and the rugs aren't even comfortable <laughs> that's a great hobby that is great i didn't even know that existed that's awesome exactly that's how useless it is no, no <laughs> offense to latch hookers listening here uh, so to our entire latch hooking community that's listening today we mean no offense it sounds like a great hobby <laughs> so what we got from there what is the best advice that you've ever received nicole Okay, this is gonna sound cheesy, but best advice is from my mom. And she, my mom is always like very critical. And she always says, she's like, everybody has their faults. And you just need to remember to not only be, to be accepting of other people's faults and forgiving of them, but to also be aware of your own and how they might affect others. So just kind of being introspective a little bit. Very wise words. And then flipping the question, uh, what do you think is the best advice you've ever given? I just, I continue to say this to anyone that's trying to start something new is just set your goals high, but your expectations low. So like that way you're never selling yourself short, but then you're always happy regardless of how successful anything that you try is. 
that that is also very wise words. My goodness. Okay, so our, our listeners are really leaving with some great solid advice here. <laughs> uh, finally, this is going to take us right back to being in Bates in first year. For everyone who's familiar with McMaster, Bates is one of the residences where people can stay in their first year. Uh, so if you could go back and tell 18-year-old self one thing, as Nicole's moving into Bates for the first time entering McMaster, what would you tell her? Thode, you're not going to get work done at Thode. <laughs> Just don't even try. <laughs> Awesome. I cannot think of a better way to close off this episode. Thank you so much, Nicole, uh, for tuning in, sharing some amazing wisdom, talking about all the artistic endeavors that you're taking on, as well as telling us a little bit more about what Patty and the Pandemic is and why we should care about it. It's, it's been a pleasure to sit down with you. It's my pleasure. Always a good time to talk to you guys. Wow, that was one incredible story. It really is phenomenal to see how creativity and innovation can sometimes be born out of challenging times, like during COVID. I was impressed to hear about how Nicole actually got started with her artistic career. It was really interesting to hear about her early exposure as a child to acting and painting and how this shaped kind of her worldview and has influenced some of what some of the projects she's taken on later in her life. So, so that was really interesting since I haven't had those experiences myself. Yeah, and it's so obvious that Nicole put in a lot of thought and effort into her work and has really found a practical solution to a question that a lot of kids probably have in their minds right now. What is COVID-19? Why is everyone wearing masks? And why can't I go to school the same as before? Uh, and I really do want other listeners to go ahead and check out Patty and the Pandemic. Uh, we've linked it below at a place where you can purchase it. Now, once again, all the proceeds will be going towards a charity, which we'll speak a little bit more about in our fact check portion. Uh, but getting back to the interview really quickly, uh, I think that one thing I'd love to highlight is how many artists we have in our class. Uh, I know we featured one today, but there's a whole bunch in our class that uh, really cultivate and support the entire artistic experience uh, while moving through medicine. Um, and I think that more and more people are starting to appreciate how those two things can intersect in a really unique and productive way. So thank you to all of our classmates. Uh, I myself am into photography and I've always found a lot of support and solace in knowing that my classmates support me pursuing those artistic endeavors. So thank you. Uh, and finally, and moving on to the fact check portion of the interview, uh, we did mention a couple of things we'd like to clarify for our listeners at home who might not know. Uh, we mentioned the, the film Mean Girls. It's uh, made in 2004. Uh, Nicole starred as Kylie George, who's the sister to Regina George, who was played by Rachel McAdams. Nicole's paintings are sold internationally through her company, Nicole Crimi Art, founded in 2012. And we also mentioned the idea of PBL cases, and we've talked about this before, but what that stands for is problem-based learning cases. And it's an approach of learning used at McMaster and other institutions in which students learn by discussing open-ended problems. Finally, uh, just to give a quick clarification about COVID cases in Ontario, uh, we've reached over 70,000 confirmed cases at the point of recording, uh, and this number is constantly evolving and changing. So please do go ahead and research the most relevant statistics for your time when you're listening to this interview. Finally, as promised, to talk a little bit more about the foundation that all the money and the proceeds from the Patty and the Pandemic is going towards. It's called Face the Future Foundation, and it's based out of Chicago, Illinois. It's a nonprofit, or, or, nonprofit organization, and I think Nicole does a really great job of describing their purpose and goal throughout the interview. So if you have any more questions, we'll also link their website below as well. And as always, if there's another topic you'd like us to cover next, or you want to join our show as an episode director, send us a message or tweet at us. Our social media handle is at the ID podcast, and we can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We also want to thank everyone involved in the production of this episode. Our episode director was Gurinder, 
writing team was Michael, Kathy, and Priscilla. Producer was Gurinder. The editor was Daniel. Hosts joining us were Michael and Gurinder. As always, music is by Isabella. And thank you to the rest of the team, Naman, Lucy, and Omri. This has been the ID Podcast, where we share stories of medicine and the people behind them. Thank you so much for listening.